and to be the overcomer and to feel like the overcomer and not the one who is overcome. Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And this morning, as we look at God's Word, I I just want to tell you, uh, young men, young men, listen up, listen up. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Uh, Everyone else is listening. Everyone else is a part of us uh, and hearing these words, which will make us feel uncomfortable. But to listen up, to see the doors on your heart be opened And I know as young men, most of the time we're looking to shut down and we're looking to cover up and protect, but uh, that would be a waste of time here this morning uh, if we would do that. Uh, Young men, I'm speaking to you, but I want to tell you also that I'm speaking to me. As I've gone over this passage and really thought through what we're, we're talking about this morning, I wish I was more prepared personally to talk about such a subject. I wish I had more of this all together this morning um, as I preach from God's Word. I, I struggle uh, to be an adult. I don't know, I don't know if uh, you can relate to that. Uh, I'm a younger brother. My sister was here today, and um, it was an awful reminder of just seeing her that I'm a little brother. And when you're a little brother... It doesn't really matter, right? You know, you just kind of do whatever you do, and you can always, I'm just a little guy, you know. Uh, I I didn't know. I wasn't, you know. I I struggle with that. And and the reason you guys giggle is because you knew that I was around 43, right? Uh, And it's long past time to be an adult, right? And yet if we would be honest, all of us here today, we struggle with, assuming what God has brought to us already, to take the role that he has already placed on us, to act like we should, to be who he's called us to be. Today we're going to talk about growing up as men, and not just in one way, but in every way, in every way that we would grow up. Um, before I move on, I want to say this thing to our whole church and especially to women. There's a danger and it happens in churches all the time and it happens at our church and we try not to let it happen, but sometimes it does. There's a a feminizing of men in the church. There's a desire for men to fit in a little box and to be like manly women type thing or something like that. To enjoy things that women enjoy. To say things like women would say them. To act in such a way that's very uh, acceptable. And yet I want to tell you that's not my desire here this morning at all. Uh, we desire here at Bear Valley Church for men to be men. And I realize women, that that's not all that comfortable for you most of the time. That uh, sometimes that doesn't fit into the way you look at life and the way you look at the future. But this is what's best, is that men would be men and women would be women. That was deep. Uh, Anyways, I wanted to say that before we got rolling this morning. 
Please stand in honor of God's word and I'd like to read to you Titus chapter 2, nearly the whole chapter. This is what God's word says. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train young women to love their husbands and their children, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God, I ask your blessing on our time. I pray that as the young men here, that they would open their hearts, that they would not worry about being shown that they are wrong, but rather that they would desire to be what you have called them to be. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our instructor now, our teacher, our motivator, the one who brings about change in our lives. God, thank you for the opportunity to be with your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're in the study of the book of Titus. We've gone through chapter 1, chapter 2. And now we come to really just one small verse that talks about young men. You see the context, it's in the context of all people in the church. That people are different. There's not one size fits most here in the church that God has called different people to act different ways. And the reality is, uh, we struggle in different ways, don't we? Uh, You and I may or may not struggle in the same areas. And this morning, he turns the focus of the book to young men. As you look at this, uh, you look at verse 1. This kind of intros this passage talking about these different groups of people. But... Paul, the Apostle Paul, calls Titus, the one who is taking care of these churches in Crete, he calls him to do this one thing. And he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
I want to remind you that when you hear the word teaching, don't go back to that school, that, that, that class that was worthless to you in high school or college. I think that we struggle with that. Sometimes those of us who struggled in school, we go, there was that one class. And what did it matter? I took this class. I got a grade. I did a lot of homework. But what did that class matter? There's a danger in when you see teaching, you think student, you think classroom, you think, that was a waste of time. In the scripture, he calls on, Paul calls on Titus by the inspiration of God. He says, Titus, I got something for you to teach. I got something for you to teach in the church. And what it is, it's for sound doctrine, sound doctrine. It's the idea that the teaching, the a curriculum, if you will, hate to use that word, but what you're going to teach, the, the information that you're going to teach is for healthy living, healthy living within the church. I realize, uh, you know, when I say healthy, some of you are going, eat a lot of veggies, make sure they're organic, you know, uh, that's not what we're talking about here. In fact, I'd like to talk to you about meat this morning. No, uh, uh you know, don't eat red meat. No, it's heresy. You know, isn't it? Uh, God's given us all good things to enjoy, right? No, I, uh, it's a different deal. Um, this morning, when we look at this passage, I want you to remember, young men, that this, what I'm going to share with you this morning, and it's not something earth-shaking in the sense that you've never heard it before, but this is for your benefit, for your benefit. The, you say, well, it doesn't sound like it's for my benefit. Let me, let me assure you of this. God loves you. God loves you. And you say, well, how do I know that? How do I know that? It's real simple. You know, this is connecting the dots here. God says, I love you. He sent his son, Jesus, for you. And you say, that's pretty nice of him. Yeah, it would be nice if he just sent him for a visit. But he sent him to die for you. He sent him to die for you. He sent him to take care of your sins that you could be in relationship with him. And if he loves you that much and he tells you, this is what's best for your life, I want you to know this. I I can assure you that that will follow along with his love for you and what's best for you. He gives us this this morning in regards to what will be sound and good for you, for that which is healthy for you. He turns his focus to young men, and he says this in verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Paul says, I, I got something for you to say to those young men. Got some young men here this morning. The message for young men here this morning is an urging and admonishing. It's a a sense of you got to do this is so important. What is it? Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. It sounds very simple. It doesn't sound very profound. The idea of being self-controlled is... One writer said it like this, the duty of, for the young man is summed up in one sentence, but it is a pregnant one. It's a big one. 
You, you look at self-controlled, you ask the question, what does that mean? It's the idea of seriousness or being sensible or prudent. It, it's to be of sound mind to exercise self-control to one's life, total life, that there would be under control of one's mind, one's mind. It's the idea that my mind will control my actions. That there would be a controller over what I do, and it would be my mind. I know that, you know, you're saying, well, what's the big point here? Why is this so profound? If you're a young man, you know why this is so profound, right? You know what it is. Uh, if you've ever been around young men, if you've ever been a young man, if you've ever lived in a house with a young man, think, why is this so important? It's real easy uh, because young men have a tendency and a propensity to autopilot and cruise control, to just go and do without a sense of our mind being engaged with our actions. Young men, have you ever said, I don't know why I did that. That's what I'm talking about. Have you ever said, I don't know, I wasn't thinking. It's exactly what this is. This is self-control. It's the idea that there was some disconnect from our actions to a thought process where we've thought this out and said, this is important. This is the way I should do it. You have the attitude sometimes, men, that says, well, whatever, whatever happens, it doesn't matter. The idea here, men, is to have our mind engaged with our actions, that are, are thought out what we're doing, to say, I will think before I do. I want to point out some things in the context of the book of Titus. In chapter 1, it talks about elders, and it uses a, a little bit different word, but it, it says for elders that they should have in their lives a sense of self-control, self-control. That that should determine whether they are qualified or identified as an elder, that their life should show them to be self-controlled. And then I look at uh, this passage that talks about other people. Look at it with me. Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, what? Self-controlled. uses different words, sensible or prudent. It uses that same word for older men. Same word for older men. Uh, if anyone goes by unscathed, that's older women. Okay? I just want to tell you that, but I don't think they do. Anyways, verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, slaves to much wine. They are to... Teach what is good. And you're going, ladies are going, see, I didn't see self-control in there. It's guilt by association. I just want to tell you that. Okay, ladies. Verse 4, and so train younger women to love their husbands and their children to be self-controlled. You see, older women, uh, you are to teach younger women to be self-controlled. And I say you can't teach where you haven't gone, you know. You, you can't show them the way if you've never been there yourself. And the, the connection is, so, so what you get here is this. Older men, to be self-controlled. Older women, guilt by association, be self-controlled. Younger women, be self-controlled. 
And then younger men, be self-controlled. As you think about this and as you, you go through this, you have to ask the question, why the focus on young men? Why the focus on young men? If you look at older men, there's six things, depending on how you slice it up. There's six things that older men should be. For older women, there's four, depending on how you slice it, four things that they're to be. Younger women, another six. And you come to young men, one. There's a lot of jokes that could be inserted right here. You know, uh, how many things can a man focus on at one t- young man focus on at one time? One, you know. Uh, I remember uh, many years ago as a, a young youth pastor, uh, a mom called me and said, I'm having such a tough time with my son. And as a compassionate youth pastor, I said, oh, what's wrong? And they said, well, I'm just struggling in so many ways. And you know, I've even taken him to various counselors. And I said, oh, what's, what, what's the problem? And she said to me, she said, my son's having trouble sequencing events. And I said, well, what does that mean? What is that? And she said, well, you know, it's pretty typical. We'd be at at breakfast and I'll say, I I want you to uh, clear your plate. I want you to go make your bed and take the trash out. And in the middle of the first thing I told him, he forgets what the other two are. And so he has trouble sequencing events. And as a, I hope I didn't say this, but I think I did. I said, well, have you tried kicking him in between uh, number two and number three? You know, jog his memory. He says one thing. He says one thing. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. I look at this as, as someone who struggles with this. And, you know, I titled this message... Uh, the silver bullet for young men. And w- when you think of silver bullet, what do you think of? Lone Ranger. Anything else? Werewolves. I don't know where that came from. Somebody said that in the first service. I got to figure that out. Uh, so, uh, Coors Light. I found that funny. You know, I, I didn't think about that. Someone else pointed that out. You mean, you mean like Coors Light? And I thought it was ironic, right? This will solve anything. And if one doesn't work, six will work better, you know? Take, take them until, until your problems go away. One of, the, one of the things of young men, right? You think about it, this... this is what identifies like the first priority, the one thing for young men, self-control. Men are known, young men are known, aren't they? You know about young men? Have you ever lived with a young man? Have you ever thought like a young man? Some of you ladies are all, no, not even close. (laughs) Not even close. Young men are known. They're known for some things, aren't they? Young men are known for pornography. Young men are known for wasting money. Young men are known for wasting time. Young men are known for being lazy. Young men are known uh, for taking advantage of women. They're known for overeating. They're known for drunkenness. They're known for greed. 
They're known for excess in all that they do. They're known for video game worship. They're known for failing to grow up. This is what men, young men, are known for today. I think about this and I read this passage and I go, well, what does this relate to today? Look over in the middle of chapter 1. And I want to I point out something culturally. Verse 12. You look at the Bible and sometimes it makes me so angry when they say this. The Bible is just an ancient book. It doesn't have anything to do with today. Look at verse 12. This was the culture in the midst where the book of Titus was written, okay? This is what it says about that culture. One of the Cretans, meaning one of the people who lived in Crete that were part of Crete, a prophet of their own, meaning a spokesman, someone who was respected, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. You know, Crete's real close to California. Just real close. Maybe not like in geography, but in identification. You get this picture sometimes that you say, oh, the Bible doesn't speak to us today. Are you kidding me? The heart of man has gone through generations. You know, we have labor-saving devices where we can sin better now, right? We can, you know, do things, what does it say about coffee? You can do th- dumber things faster and with more energy or something like that. You know, that, that's the picture of our culture today. It's the sinful heart poured out. Young men, don't think that for an instant that the, the readers, uh, Titus and the, the readers in Crete that would hear this, that they didn't struggle in ways that you do. They did. And so young men are marked and known for certain things. And the answer to these things that I mentioned of, uh, of these lists that things that men are known for, the answer is your own self-control. To exercise self-control over one's total life, that that would be under control of your mind. I think about this and I think about the idea of being controlled by your mind. That, that you would think through and, and put into practice what your mind has already decided. If you don't do that, uh, if you are not uh, driven by your mind, some people say you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. You're not connected. And, and we look at the things that young men do. They don't make sense. Why? Because their mind is not engaged. Their mind is not the governor that takes care of, should I do this? Should I not do this? How should I do this? What should I give myself to? The the danger here um, is this, that one of the things that marks young men is passion, isn't it? Things they love, things they love. And in our world today, passion is something that always seems like a good thing. You know, they just, they're just passionate about this. But the danger here, young men, is this, that you let your passions rule you and not your head that God has given you, your brains, your mind that he has given you to control your passions. Many people say that that's the, the way to make decisions, is just find your passion and follow it. 
find your passion and follow it. Men, that's dangerous. It's foolish. There's a lot of things you love that are, that are so bad for you. There's a lot of things that are attractive and you say, I could really, you know, spend some time on that. It's not good for you. You Your mind needs to be engaged as well as your passion. In fact, your mind needs to be over your passion. I I find it interesting in another letter that Paul wrote to a pastor to help him uh, set up the church and to uh, be an older man teaching a younger man about the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, and it's talking about the godlessness of the last days. And I want you to ask the question, what is this describing? Is this describing what we're talking about? Listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then he says this, avoid such people. He describes these last days of godlessness as what we can see in our world today. And if we're honest, what's in our heart? What's in our heart? And he says, the mark of godless days is a lack of self-control. It's an idea of following the passions, just going from one thing to another. As we look at this danger, I want to share with you another passage you know, men, uh, when we come to this issue, we say, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? So I lack self-control. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. My life doesn't matter. Some of you young men right here today, you go, I realize that my life doesn't matter all that much. So my self-control doesn't matter that much. I want to tell you one of the things that we talk about over and over again in our father's Bible study is the the principle or the idea of the domino falling and that our lives set a course that go down the road. And there's a sense in which sometimes men say, well, my life's not that important. Your life will impact one way or another. It will set a course, something that you don't want it to set, or it will set a course that God will be honored in your home. Some of you are going, well, I'm not married yet. Guess what? What you do today will impact your marriage someday. You say, well, I'm not married. You don't have kids either, but guess what? Your lack of self-control sets a course of a pattern that will impact your kids. And this is what happens in life. This is where God has placed us as men. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says this. Listen to this carefully. A man without self-control, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You say, what's that? 
It's a picture. It's a picture. He says, if you're a man without self-control, you're like a city. You're like a city. It's a city. And in ancient times, there was a sense of every city was protected by its walls. And as significant as the walls were, the significance and the uh, sense of security and health the city could have depending on how their walls were. And he says, if you lack self-control, if you lack self-control, you're like a city whose walls have been destroyed, destroyed, and their protection is gone. You're open for anything. Men, if you lack self-control, you are unprotected and ready to be slaughtered by any number of things in this world today. Self-control. This is important stuff. I want to point out something. So what's the answer to this control over our life? How, how does this come about? Where is this found? Self. Self. You are the one to control you. You're the one to uh, make sure that the actions that you are doing are honoring to the Lord. You're the one that's supposed to think and rethink before proceeding. Yourself. Young men, it's not your wife. It's not your wife that should keep you in check. You say, you know, I, I act one way, but if my wife weren't around, you know, uh, you know there would be a sense of living another way. No, men, it's not your wife. Wives, it's not you, okay? Uh, women, I, I just want to tell you, sometimes you get in, a way, get in the way about all this stuff, right? Young men are supposed to be self-controlled, not wife-controlled, okay? It's real simple. Yeah, I want to tell you, wives, uh, that uh, men need you desperately, but not for that, Okay? They need you in many ways, but not to control them. Men, do not depend on your wife to control your behavior. That's not self-control. You look at this and you, you say, well, what is it? It's not your wife. Uh, it, man, it's not your friends. It's not your friends. I, I look at uh, our students here today and I go, sometimes you, you get this idea that, hey, hey I got to be in a good friend group. I got to be in a good friend group. My buddies that I hang out, I, I, they got to be good because when I'm not in a good group, then I change. <laughs> then I change. Hey, you know what? I think your friends are super important. Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. It says right before that, don't be deceived. Don't be lied to. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. But let me tell you this. Don't say, I'm good when I'm with good people and I'm bad when I'm with bad people. That shows someone who's like, I don't know what to do. What do you, oh, I'll just do what you do. That's not self-controlled. That's not someone who God is in charge of their heart. It's someone who's up for sale depending on the way the weather's turning. It's not your wife. It's not your friends. It's not your boss. You know, there's a, a, a greatness to having a, a beginning time and a quitting time and that your boss is watching you and you're saying, oh, you know, I got to do what's right because my boss is watching me. Man, that's not self-control. 
Self-control says, I'm going to do what's right because God is watching. Because I have a relationship with him. And and I'm not going to need someone to, that's a babysitter. That's a babysitter. We don't need a babysitter. We need to be self-controlled. Lastly, I want to tell you this, and this could be for the old, this could be for the young. It's not your mama. It's not your mama. Three older men, uh, you know, the ghost of your mama follows you around. And, and you're concerned. You're like, you're, you're doing something, and you know your mom wouldn't like it. And you're going, oh, no, what if my mom asks me? Or what if she finds out? Who cares what your mom thinks? I mean, sorry, moms. I, I had to say that out loud. It's not about what your mom thinks. It's about what your God thinks. And, and you shouldn't have to have your mom looking over your shoulder all the time so that you would do what's right. Young men, this is not a way to live. This isn't the way it is. We're not to be dependent upon our mama telling us what to do. Between you and God, your life should be in control. My wife was sharing with me a study she read about video game playing. Sorry. Sorry in advance. Um, It was talking about those from 13 to 18 years old and from those 19 to 25 year olds. Okay? Two different age groups of men. 13 to 18, 19 to 25. Which group played more hours of video games in a week? 13 to 18, 19 to 25? Why? Because their mama's not around. Because <laughs> their mama's not around. That's pathetic. That's pathetic. I know some of you are going, you, you, you're doing the old guy thing, and you're going, ah, I know. Video games are of the devil. <laughs> The reason some of you old guys don't play video games is because you don't know how, okay? You don't know how. You can't figure it out. You can't figure it out. In fact, in fact, some of you have tried and you walked away because you realized you could never catch up. You can never get there, okay? I, wanna, I wanted to throw, throw your parents and your grandparents under the bus on that one, Okay. The picture here is this, uh, you know, when I was, when I was in high school, junior high, I had a friend who he had some pretty sweet toys at his house and he actually had the arcade game, Miss Pac-Man. And and I want to tell you, I want to explain to you, you know, okay, I want to be real clear. Video games are not of the devil. They're not of the devil. Okay. Some of them are, but not all of them are hypothetically. Um, but um, they're not all of the devil. But I want to tell you, young men, what, what the problem is with them, okay? So you have, so, so I have this Miss Pac-Man game. I'd go over to my friend's house and we'd play. And what was the big goal of Miss Pac-Man? And you say, I, I don't even really remember. You're just supposed to, it's pretty, pretty in-depth. You're just supposed to eat the little dots, you know. Pretty awesome game, that's what I thought. Um, but the goal, the goal was to get your initials for a high score. They had top 10 right there. And then when you got to be the best, you could put your initials KDB. And then, and then, you some of you are laughing. It's big stuff, right? 
And then, then you could go to your friends and you could say, or, you know, I went to this friend's house or I went to the arcade. And guess what? I got a high score. I got a high score. See, there was a, there's a huge sense of accomplishment in getting high score. There's, there's a, a huge sense of pride that comes in. And you said, man, that was awesome. I got high score. The problem is this. You haven't done anything. And you feel like you have. That's the big problem with video games. And, and, and as serious as I can be, this is the danger, young man, is that that's not what life is about. You, you can't get money for high score. You, you, for passing a new level and you know unlocking whatever, okay? There, there's not... This is not being productive. And you say, well, what does it matter? If I have the time, why shouldn't I waste it? I question whether you have the time. And when I say you don't have the time, I'm not saying your homework's not done or whatever. What I'm saying is life is so important. Guess what? Life comes a lot quicker than we want it to. You know, you're in high school or you're in middle school and you're saying, yeah, I got all the time in the world. No, you don't. A couple of blinks and guess what? You're out of high school. And you say, oh, then I'll just go to college. Well, a couple more blinks and then you're done with that. And you say, well, then I'll get married. Then you'll get married and you'll say, hey, babe, watch me get high score. (laughs) This is going to provide for us as a family. I know it. People will be impressed. This is the danger. And it's not just video games. It's everything. It's the idea that saying that we're doing something when we're really not saying we're accomplishing much when we're really just wasting time. Man, I want to ask you a question. When should you go to bed? When should you go to bed? What time should you go to bed? Uh, Let me ask you another question. How, How much should you spend on your car? How big of a TV should you buy? What movies should you watch? Should you go on the internet? What websites should be off limits if you go? When should you trust yourself on the internet? Uh, how, how much time should you spend with this person? How much time should you work? When is it time to recreate? When is it time to work? How, how do you make these decisions? How, how do you do these things? And you say, well, I'll go to bed when my mom tells me to or when everybody else goes to bed or I'll just kind of do whatever I think. Uh, just kind of just go. That will not work. That's not self-control. Man, God's got to be the one to guide us and direct us that we would not look to others to tell us what to do, when to do it, to have them control us in some way so that we would not harm ourselves and others. This idea is for you to be serious in your mind about your life. It's the idea to remember that your life matters and the decisions that you make and the days that you spend, they matter both to God and to others. I want to give you uh, three questions that will hopefully test you on whether you're in control. And I I want to tell you, man, I, I, I struggle with these. I struggle with these. Being that adult that I know God wants me to be and sometimes not being that guy, I I struggle I want you to ask the question, am I working to provide for my family? 
Am I working to provide for my family? Or if you're not married, are you preparing to provide for a family? Or am I wasting my days clinging to accomplishments and thrills that are temporary and at best fantasies? You see, men, we're supposed to work at our work. Work at our work. And our recreation is supposed to be after we've worked, not the other way around. I, uh, I fear talking about this, but I think it's important. So you look at the context of this passage. What did it tell the young women, women to be? Just move up a little bit in the passage. Look at it. What did it, what did it tell them to be? A couple of things I want to point out. It says that older women were to teach younger women to love their husbands, love their husbands and love their children. And then a few words after that, it says to be workers at home, workers at home. And so many ladies were wondering, well, how can I do all this? How can I do this? It doesn't seem possible. Well, there is a sense in all of these, the older men, older women, younger women, younger men, there's an impossibility to it in and of ourselves. I hope you get that, that this is God's work in us, okay? But some of you look at this and you go, you know, it's just not possible, you know, with economics today to, for a woman to truly be a worker at home and to have that be her focus. And, and men are sitting back, young men are sitting back going, yeah, my wife needs to work. Yeah, you know, if she can get a good job, she better go do it too because we could use the dough around here. I, I You know, I, I got... Yeah, that's good. It's good to have money in our home from my wife. Be careful the way you hear this, but I want you to see this. Young men are sitting around going, I'll just let life hit, you know. I don't care how these things play out, you know. I got a job and it's not paying enough or we're not able to make it. Ah, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Have you ever thought of a paper route? Have you ever thought about picking up a few more hours in the morning, men? You say, well, you know, I, I need my hours of sleep. No, you don't. No, you don't. You need to be self-controlled. And why? Because those dom- your life is a domino that impacts your wife, impacts your kids. You say, kids are going, look, I'm in middle school. Get off my back, Okay. I'm not going to get a job. We get up pretty early around here to get the bus. I'm not going to get a job. Hey, kids, the point, the point of this is get some skills. Get some skills that someone's going to pay you money to do. Why? So you can provide for a family. You say, I don't know if I'm going to have a family. Well, don't wait until you get one to figure it out. Get some now. You see, there's this self-control thing that says, I'll, I'll take care of that later. <laughs> Men, men, nod your head. Nod your head if you started too late on this whole self-control thing. Okay? We start too late. And, and if we're going to wait until we're older men to get our act together, it's going to be too late and the damage will be done. Self-control. I'll move on. You can argue with me about that later if you'd like. Second question, is your mind in control of your passions, all your passions? Is your mind in control of your passions? Or are your passions controlling your life? 
Some of you say, well, I just love doing this. This is just what I love doing. Let me ask you a question. That's your passion. If it's controlling your life, I want want you to ask the question, can you give it up? Can you give it up? Can you give it up for a week, a month, a couple months? Can you give it up? And some of you are saying, sure I can. I got grounded. I couldn't use it for a month. That's your mama doing that, okay? When you're out on your own, 19 to 25, can you say, I can walk away. I can step away from this. I am in control here. Are your passions in control of your life or is, in your, is your mind in control of your life? The last question I have. Am I trusting in someone else to govern my actions, my whereabouts, and my well-being? Am I, am I letting somebody else govern that? Am I depending on someone else? You know what? If that's true, if that's true, you're not self-controlled. And, and I want to be honest with you. Some of you are struggling with this and you say, so should I be able to be in bad situations and not sin? Yes. But self-control is also knowing yourself well enough to be in bad situations and say, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. There's example after example in the scriptures of, of godly men getting out of there. Right? Think of Joseph. Potiphar's wife grabbed him. He says, I don't need these clothes. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm bailing. I can't handle it. Self-control. It's knowing yourself well enough and not depending on others to tell you what to do, where to go, and whether you're okay. Man, all we need is the work of God in our lives. I want to share with you just a few, uh, just one quick verse and then we'll be done. Second Timothy, that other book uh, that we'd already referred to. Chapter 1, verse 7 says this, For God ha- gave us, He gave us, He changed us, He made us for this. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I want, I want you to see this, man. It's not just about you. It's about you and an all-powerful God working in your midst so that you can be what God wants you to be because it's important because it matters. Let me pray and ask God to give us the strength to do this, young men. God, thank you for this morning. I pray that uh, you would impact these young men who are represented here in this room. God, you, you know we struggle in many ways. And I, I just want to ask that you would help us to engage our mind, that you would change our mind, that it would reflect things that would glorify you. I pray that you would give us a seriousness of life, that we would not be reckless like our peers, like our culture, but that we would be reflective that you have done a work in our heart. God, give us the strength to obey. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed.